Hello everyone, welcome along to the March episode of the Luton Town Sports Trust podcast. It's just me, Kev, your host, and uh, the Lutonian journalist James Cunliffe uh, this month. There's no Tony, he'll be back on the uh, next full podcast we do. But James, how are you doing, mate? It's all mate, all right, you? Yep, all good, all good, for many reasons that we're going to discuss over the next hour or so. But before we get cracking on the podcast, and I'll tell you what's coming up shortly... We had a milestone after the last podcast where we had our 50,000th download. Uh, so we're Ooh. really appreciative of everybody who's listened to the inane ramblings of James and Tony and the dulcet tones of myself for the last five seasons. And, um, well, I mean, that's fantastic, really, James, isn't it? We never really thought that that was in our wildest dreams when we started this out five years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, because the first one was... <laughs> It's a disaster, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, some uh, did it in a bar. The barman had dropsy. Barwoman's had dropsy. Plates, glasses smashing over plates. The we whole shebang. That was under that. the flight path. Yeah. That, Terrible that was connections. That was venue wasn't it? Well, <laughs> we've come a long way from there, thankfully. Yeah. There, there'll be no plates being smashed in the background tonight, I hope. And there'll certainly be no noise of the aeroplanes that is for sure yeah thanks for everyone uh, to everyone who downloads who listens who gets in touch with us with your feedback we really really appreciate it and here's to the next well many more downloads to come okay we'll get cracking on this episode of the podcast we'll we'll put it into two parts like we have done all season so in this first part myself and james will discuss um the transfers that have happened since we were last together uh, we'll have a look back at that chelsea game We'll look at the recent league matches since the last podcast and our two player focuses this month are going to focus on some defenders, Amari Bell and Tom Lockyer. And then coming up in the second part, we'll look towards the present and the future, but we'll cover that uh, when we get to it. James, um, it's been a, been a surprising few weeks, really, in terms of transfers. I don't think anyone saw Robert Snodgrass entering the building at any stage. And unfortunately, we've had to call for an emergency keeper because of the um, sad injury to Jed Steer, who was doing really, really well. And no one seems to have put out exactly what's wrong with him. But we're pretty understanding that he snapped his Achilles, which is just horrendous. Yeah, I mean, you don't go down, hit the deck like he did with nobody around you. Um, and then, you know, smack, punching the ground and stuff, considering he's done it before twice, I think. Uh, it's a shame that it's recurred because, he, yeah, he was doing really well, kept uh, what, three clean sheets, I think, all competitions. Yeah, I think uh, the only goal he conceded was that Stoke one, wasn't it? And it was so late, it barely mattered in the game. So, yeah. You know, and he was just he, really finding his feet behind the defence as well, wasn't he? He was, yeah. I, I, I thought his kicking was fantastic. Um, he was sort of starting to command his, uh, his box. He hadn't conceded against Chelsea at the time when he did go off. So, um, uh, yeah, it's a real shame because that's a long, long way back for a snapped Achilles, um, particularly as he's done it before and he's 30, so he's no spring chicken. So, yeah, I wish him the best. Uh, so, it was a bit of a bit of a blow. But um, obviously, Harry Eister came in straight up away for that Chelsea game and he excelled I mean it's rare that you say that about a goalkeeper that conceded three goals but he had no chance of any of them um, and it could have been a lot more really if he hadn't pulled off some wonder saves in the first half so uh, it's a shame for him as well um, because you had to get a, a, another keeper in because otherwise you 
would be delving into the, the youth uh, squad, I think. I mean, I, I know there'll be some people listening and say, well, why not? But Harry Eisted hasn't played a... That was his first senior game, really, the FA Cup. Yeah, you know, in a, in a, in a top-draw competition. No disrespect to the Checker Trade Trophy or whatever it's called now, but it wasn't. And that's the only thing he played in. And then again, that was three years ago, four years ago. So you had to get someone in, I think. Um, but And the rules stipulate that if you get an emergency loan keeper in, they have to play. So I think that's where the problem is, isn't it? I mean, if you get an emergency loan, you obviously need a goalkeeper, but does he really have to start? I mean, he could hmm. quite, you know, he, he could sit on the bench. I mean, to be fair to him, I think in time, the longer we have him, the more he'll prove that he's probably the better of the two goalkeepers anyway. So it's, it may well be that he starts. But obviously, when he came in on Saturday, having not met anyone, and I think he had one training session, didn't he? Didn't really hmm. know who who he was. You could tell he was rusty. He doesn't need me to tell him he should have saved the second goal. He knows that himself. But he built on that last night against Coventry. And you, you kind of think the more games he plays, he'll get better. But you're right, it's, it's harsh on Harry because, you know, he's been a, a servant below sort of Sluger and Shea and Stetch and Shea and, you know, all the other goalkeepers. And there was his chance. And like you say, he, he kind of took it. But I mean, ultimately, if we didn't get an uh, emergency loan keeper in, like some people are saying, why did we? And Harry Arsenal got injured. Then, then we're up Certain Creek without much of a paddle. So uh, it just had to be done. And the fact that Palmer was reading between the lines all but signed before West Brom pulled the plug, uh, before we signed Jed Steer, it, it's not like we've suddenly gone panic like we did back in the Stuart Moore, Matt Macy days. It's a genuine goalkeeping option that we've known all about. Yeah, they know who they want, don't they? They've got one, two, three options most of the time, and yeah, um, I think that was the case. Though it was, it, it was almost he was almost there in January, wasn't it? And then don't know what West Brom were, were doing, but they've obviously loaned him out now on this emergency loan. So um, he's a player that they've had their eye on. Um, yeah, so I've not I've not actually seen him yet because I've, I've I've missed the two games that he's been at. Uh, but yeah, shame for Harry because. After the you know the weekend's game was his twenty fifth birthday, wasn't it? So it'd be nice to make his league debut on that. But there he is back on the bench. But um, yeah, uh, listen, uh, Palmer's already kept a clean sheet, and so uh, I think that's what four, no, three goalies now this season kept clean sheets. Yeah, no, four years right. Saluga, Shea, Steer, and um, Palmer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's pretty decent. Yeah, that's a pretty good, pretty decent record. I saw Mike of Luton News posted that it's the first time we've used as many goalkeepers uh, in a season since the Joe Kinnear 2002-2003 season. Funnily enough, think back to the JPT season, we actually used four goalkeepers from the semi-finals onwards in that competition. So uh, we're not averse to using plenty of goalkeepers. Uh, we've done well out of West Brom, James, because Robert Snodgrass has come in. We haven't seen much of him. 20 minutes against Chelsea, 20 minutes against... He plays somewhere else. Twenty minutes. These games have all merged into one. I'm, I'll have to warn you of that. Now they they've come so thick and fast. They've all merged into one. But he played another twenty minutes somewhere along the line, anyway. And um, it may have been Derby uh, somewhere along the line. Um, I can't really judge him on that, but you can judge him on the level of signing that he is and how big a uh, coup for the town that we're signing players of that caliber. Yeah, I, I'm really quite excited about that signing you know I think he's top class and I've got a 
a few West Ham mates and they all text, don't, don't usually message, considering Luton are made up of half of uh, West Ham's academy squad, they don't usually message me at all about it, but um, when it came to Snodgrass, they were all messaging me saying, you've got a hell of a player there, and a hell of a person, supposedly good around the dressing room. But um, you know, I think when he was at Aston Villa, he was top assist maker when he was there. So, um, yeah, he's, he's probably got to get up to speed because he's missed, what, two months of football? Um but as a player to have in the running, it's it's a top class sign, and I think it just sort of shows you where <clears throat> where Luton are heading, really, because they can attract these players, and you're not going to get the um, you're either going to get the young un- untried uh, Premier League starlets from youth academies like Kikin and Jewsbury Halls, or you're going to get uh, players towards the end of the career that have had a lot of Premier League experience. But either way, it's pointing to that. Um, next level, isn't it? So it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a very shrewd signing, I think. Um, and they needed a left footed midfielder as well. So um, I'm looking forward to him playing more of a part. And he's got playoff experience, which might be valuable, but we'll hold fire on that because <laughs> I will get an update on whether James thinks we're going to make the playoffs in part two of the podcast. We will, we will see on that one. Uh, Chelsea. James, first of all, before we talk about the game, which was a fantastic game of football, if you're particularly if you're a neutral, actually, it weren't bad as a Luton fan. Um, the team that lined up, an awful lot of question marks over it before the game. There were still question marks over it after the game, particularly in light of the fact that we then went and lost on Saturday. Was it the right decision to rest so many players or should he have gone full strength and had a right good go at them? I have to admit the draw since then has changed my view on this. Yeah, I, I can see how it will. I think we we both be honest that we were both very disappointed by the the team lineup when it was announced an hour before the uh, the kickoff. Um, but I've since eaten my hat on that <laughs> because uh, if that's the B team, then uh, they're pretty they're doing all right, you know. So. Um, yeah, it was always going to take a massive effort to beat Chelsea. I mean, there's not... When you talk of cup upsets these days, I can't think of too many where you've beaten the elite teams in the Premier League, the ones that made the Champions League all the time, because they've got such strength and depth and of world-class players. I'm not sure that happens anymore. I'm struggling to think of when the last time you know, a load of team knocked one of those out. They usually make the latter stages and then they just beat each other, don't they? So you'll get like Cambridge beat beating Newcastle who were at the time were in dire straits and stuff but it, it, it takes a big effort and everything to go your way and a bit of luck to, to beat one of these teams and for 60 minutes they've been doing fantastic um, but they just dominated so much of the ball and stuff I don't think it, mattered, it would have mattered who would have played and at the time I'm thinking well it's probably it's paid dividends because uh, you've given all these players that haven't had a lot of minutes game time in a very prestigious game against top quality opponents. So that keeps the morale, I guess, in the squad happy. And there's no sign that that's down anyway. It's always, you know, in good shape, but it gives those players minutes. So in the running, you can rely on them a bit more if they're called. And it rested, uh, you know, some of the, players that have played a lot of minutes uh, for the league running. And I can see what you're saying. They went to Middlesbrough and lost 1-0. So what was the point in that? 
<laughs> but it's uh, I think you probably have to look at it as in the broader picture uh, you know g- give them a rest and uh, and see how that affects the running which you know in the game since they've obviously bounced back and and won a game so um, I, I I don't think that it's, it's come out of that um, team selection of anything other than positivity I think on all fronts so uh, you know when you think about it hindsight with a bigger picture I'd say fair play <laughs> maybe um, maybe I won't question it so much because he seems to know what he's doing doesn't he well he's not doing too badly is he let's be fair and also this supposed reserve team which it wasn't a reserve team really I mean you look at the players who came in they've all previously had a fair few minutes I mean okay Kyoso is more of cameos and uh, but Musquay started a few games um, since Christmas sorry since he's come back from the Africa Cup of Nations Barry could be argued as a starting midfielder at anyway and I'm I'm going to get your view on that in the second part of the podcast as well. It's only, it was only really Potts, uh, Mendes, Gomez, uh, maybe Kioso, who are light on minutes, um, who, who who haven't been in and around a, a Saturday league team um, much this season. So, you know, it's more of a squad issue rather than a kind of first team issue. But ultimately, they led the champions of Europe, the world champions, twice on mm. the night. And, it, it only took a combination of the conditions probably tiring us out because it pissed down the rain all night long. We were obviously chasing the ball around an awful lot. And 150 million quid up front. You know, I mean, our defence won't even cost the 50 grand, let alone the, you know, 150 million. Um, and two bits of class, really, just undone us. Yes, Reesberg probably will be disappointed that he didn't cut out the ball to Timo Werner, but the, the control and finish was every bit as good as Harry Cornick's touch and finish in the first half in that goal. And then the goal for Lukaku's winner, I mean, you know, we're chasing shadows there. Yeah, they were both top-class goals, uh, really. And I I understand people who will say, well, what could have been if you played like the full-strength side? But I'm of the view it would have been exactly the same. Chelsea would have still had all the ball. They'd have still made those players run around. And then those players get knackered and maybe it's not so good for the league running. So, um, you know, Luton... Well, Luton took two chances really that they had um, and for 60 minutes Chelsea couldn't really find a way through they did well I say that actually they had a couple of good chances in the first half but then you had Steer didn't you second half I don't think they were really penetrating Luton until those moments and it just goes to show that that's the level isn't it that's the level you've got to uh to, to try and get to where you can be that ruthless um, and and that ruthless for two players that aren't considered particularly in good form and particularly in favour at the moment but they are nevertheless internationals who've scored a hell of a lot of goals before they came to this Chelsea side Yeah, I mean my Twitter feed's been ridiculing Timo Werner probably since he missed the penalty down there against us last season, maybe even before that. And obviously that came back to haunt me, but you know, say la vie, I'll move on. It's, um, it's not a problem. Um, cracking start to the game. And what a roar when, when Reese Burke found the top corner with that header. I mean, the roof's going to get some serious um, testing between now and the end of the season, I suspect, but probably not with a roar as loud as that. Yeah, I suspect it probably did more damage to the roof than those storms a couple of weeks ago, to be <laughs> honest. So, um, yeah, I mean, 
I mean, this club in the last, what, 10 years have given us so many moments, really. Um, and that was right up there, really. The, the sound of it, 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 it was almost, it almost made you move. It was that loud and they just sang all the way through. It's a perfect start because the, the crowd were already up and the way that Luton were attacking the Chelsea players and not giving them a moment's peace albeit only for 100 seconds until Reese Burke scored. It was a wonderful header, and I know we'll speak about set pieces later in the podcast, but it was a perfect start, really. And they looked flustered for a good while after that. And really, their goal was a gift. Yeah, they had to be a bit ruthless, and the strike was fantastic, but you know, the ball got given away deep in territory. And if you could do that against international players, then guess what? Goal. But to come back as well, fantastic taking goal by Harry against his the club he supports because he missed one up down at Stamford Bridge, didn't he? And he would have been kicking himself. But yeah, it was, you know, like I said before, it, it, was, it was always going to be much more difficult than just that to beat Chelsea. But for 45 minutes... Man, what a time to be alive, even for 60 minutes. Uh, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. The, the atmosphere was fantastic. I knew it would be. And that's the sort of nights that you want more of, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, Gabe gave the ball away for their equal, their first equaliser. But, I mean, the finish, whew, a little, yeah. bit taste, little bit tasty. But the saves that Harry Austin made after that 0-1-1, there was one from the left-back Kennedy that he pushed over the crossbar. And then the save from Lukaku was right in front of me. He's absolutely, he saw that, he probably saw that when it entered his six-yard box and it was fizzing across the turf to get down and get a hand to it and get it around the post. Absolutely top draw save. If Sluger had made that save at Wigan, it, it's very, very, very much similar to that. And I know I'm going to talk about one that uh, Alex Palmer made last night, which is in a similar vein as well. And... Um, you know, fair play to Harry Arsenal because, you know, I mean, if that was me, sort of what, 24, 4th or 5th senior game, I'd have been shitting a right brick. But he looked like <laughs> he was in control of the situation. The first touch that he had of the ball, he, uh, his first kick was over the winger, straight onto James Bree's feet. And, you know, those saves, the only sort of mishap, if you like, was when he came out for that long ball, wasn't it? And flew over his head and he ended up having to slide tackle and get the ball out. But, I mean, the wind and everything was... It was a treacherous night for an experienced goalkeeper, let alone um, an inexperienced one like him. And yeah, I know there was probably a sense that he had nothing to lose, but still such an occasion, you know, you wouldn't want to have made, you know, made a cock up and been the one guilty of, you know, costing us the game. And he didn't, to be fair. So fair play to him. Um, And with Harry's goal, Carlos Mendes Gomez's pass was lovely, uh, right on the button. Uh, Harry, lovely piece of control, sort of with his thigh kind of hip area. And then it was straight out of his feet and Bosch straight in the bottom corner. Whereas two years ago, it had been straight out of his feet and Bosch straight out of ground. So really, really, really good finish. He doesn't miss those anymore. Um, the turnaround is fantastic because, you know, but the first season in the championship, how many of those did he have? And he just didn't know what he was doing, like caught in two minds. He always told us back then he was practising and training and doing uh, drills to, to score because I don't think he's natural. He started for Zorbinger, didn't he? So, um, but he's come on leaps and bounds of that now. You know, if he gets a chance, uh, I'm, I'm expecting it to land in the bottom 
corner of the net because uh, it, it just seems more confident, more decisive with what he wants to do. Right? Before maybe caught in two minds a lot, maybe had too much time to think about it. But he had plenty of time to think about this one. He's running from the halfway line. But yeah, no, no, no qualms about it. Yeah, finished it with a plum. And I mean, let's be fair, he might have his detractors, but that was a 70 million quid goalkeeper uh, that he gave no chance with that finish. Second half is just the Ruben Loftus cheek show, wasn't it? I mean, he, he played this weird tactical sort of nuance, didn't he? That he played in behind, sorry, in between the two shakier centre halves. And he looked like he was a Rolls Royce in there. I mean, we've spoken about Reese Burke on this podcast, but. Ruben Loftus-Cheek took that to a new level. He carried the ball out as if he was Rio Ferdinand and his passing was just insane. You know, if he, if he's supposedly a Chelsea third player, their first and second teams are bloody good. Well, exactly. And that's what you're up against, really, isn't it? I mean, he's been lauded for many a season, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and has never quite broken through. And so, you know, all, all the potential that he's supposedly got, but he's an England international. I mean, you just, you just see when you watch Chelsea, um, how big a gap it is to, from, from where Luton are to where they are, just the speed and movement of everything. And it's all quite, it's so precise as well at that pace. It's, it's phenomenal. A friend of mine actually said he watched it back on the, on the, um, on the replay on the TV and he said, the TV doesn't do it justice. It, it doesn't. It seems slower on the TV, but when you're there in the ground, they're zipping it about. It's it's um, yeah. It's uh, it was good to see. Yeah, let's put it that way. But yeah, they're always chasing shadows. Once once Werner's goal goes in, there's enough time to to, to then nick a win in, which you thought might come. I, I was at the time just before Werner scored. I thought if Luton can stretch this out for another ten minutes, there might be a chance here, but. Yeah, with um, twenty odd minutes left on the on the clock, so they were going to make it pay. I think. Yeah, you could tell uh, Osho was really tiring by that point. Burke and Lockyer, likewise, they'd just done just done too much running, and you know, obviously, league games right the way in the lead up to that. Big league games as well, big mental challenges, let alone physical challenges. It just caught up with us, but hey. We weren't disgraced. We we went toe to toe with world champions. I think Micah Richards said on the broadcast that he found it incredible when Nathan Jones said we were going to go toe to toe and take them on, and he didn't believe it. And then he saw it with <clears throat> with his own eyes for the first forty five minutes, and he thought we were crazy, but we were fantastic at doing it. And I guess it's praise like that that kind of suggests that we're on the right line, and you know everything that's happening is is good. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, there's no shame in losing that 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 tie. Um, you know, it'd be nice to go on a FA Cup run. Of course it would. But I don't think you can really pass up the chance or the opportunity that Luton currently have in the Championship. Um, and sometimes, you know, I love the FA Cup. I do. It, it, it's wonderful. And, and when Luton got to the, to the semis, um, you know, all those years ago, 94. 94, yeah, yeah. It was it was magnificent. It really was. But um you know to the opportunity to get Luton into the Premier League from this current position, from where they were back in you know, two thousand eight, nine, that that is gonna be some story and it, it, it that that's where Luton can 
progress more. You know, a, a cup competition, it sounds romantic and it is. And if you can get there, great. But you've got to put all, more, more of your eggs in, in this cup in the championship basket at the moment for me. Yeah, I agree. And um, whilst I was disappointed at the full-time whistle, which in itself was bloody ridiculous, we just lost to the world champions for Christ's sake, not Braintree or, you know, some of these other sides that we lost to sort of eight or nine years ago. But uh, the t- the disappointment I felt soon went when I saw the draw because Middlesbrough away on one Saturday a month mm. is enough without going there two Saturdays later. One thing I will say on that FA Cup thing, though, is I wasn't sure about fifth round being in midweek, but I watched a few of the games, not just ours. And actually think it works I think having them ones under the lights with full crowds which you probably wouldn't get on a Saturday I, th- I think that that really worked and um, you spoke about the championship push James and uh, well let's get on to the championship because we've played some seriously big matches since we both last spoke when we did the last podcast we were both very very doubtful about the first two games that were coming up against West Brom and Stoke because they're physical sides they're horrible sides the sides that Luton Town can't beat but we beat them both. We'll start with West Brom, who were an absolute shambles in front of goal. We basically said to them, look, here is the goal. For Christ's mm-hmm. sake, score. And they couldn't. Three times in the first half, we gave them a clean clean view of the goal. And they just couldn't score. Couldn't, wouldn't, didn't, whatever it was. You know, the worst one was Carlin Grant, wasn't it? I don't know what he was mm. doing, trying to lift it over Jed Steer, but he hit the crossbar and then all hell broke loose. And of course, we went down the other end, nearly scored ourselves. But, uh, crazy first half, really. It was crazy, but it, you know, for those chances, they were all gifted by Luton. That that one you took, spoke of from Carlin Grant was nice, and if some some for some reason playing a ball across the box straight to him. <clears throat> um, your West Brom hadn't scored for six games, five games at that point. That was the fifth game, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fifth game they hadn't scored, and um, yeah, they didn't look confident at all. They looked. They looked rattled, and um, yeah, I'm glad that they missed those and got punished. Really, because it's a big, it's kind of a big scalp for for Luton uh, in this league, and results haven't been great against them. So, you know, since coming back into the Championship, albeit they were in the Premier League last year, they, they've got so many resources. Their wage budget is so so much bigger they're not a nice side to play against either they're very you know it's an ugly team to play against you don't like it don't enjoy it so yeah to beat those <clears throat> felt like a significant step um, uh, and so it sort of proved really uh, in hindsight yeah Cameron Jerome nearly had a goal in the first half when uh... Alan Campbell decided to go right down the middle of the pitch and then uh, lay, lay a through ball to him that hit the outside of the post and unfortunately fell the other side of James Bree rather than go straight to him for a tapping. But he did get on the score sheet to open the score and brilliant free kick from Cal Naismith. We're going to touch on that in the second part of the podcast, like you said. And bullet header from Cameron Drame. I think an England goalkeeper should do better with it, but I'm sure as hell not complaining. I don't know. I think that was a fantastic header. They're, they're beautiful sights, those things. You don't see too many of them anymore. Um, but yeah, a wonderful, uh, wonderful cross, wonderful header. <laughs> and he's actually, Cameron Jerome's actually a fair play to him because he is, he looked well off the pace 
earlier in the season uh, and he was only getting short cameos and wasn't doing anything when he came on. You think he's looking every bit of his 35 years there. But in the last month or two, he's really shown his quality, you know, and particularly against West Brom when you've got a giant of a centre-back, um, I forget his name now, uh, but he was about 10 foot tall. Yeah, I mean, you had three of them, didn't you? Clark, Bartley and Ajayi, you know. They yeah, were- that's it. Yeah, but up against that, up against them, he was you know giving as good as he got, really roughing them up a bit, which um, is why he was chosen to play in that game, I think. Uh, but the the combination, um, the strike partnership there really worked. I thought they gave him a torrid time; they didn't really like it. Uh, but to take that goal like he did, um, you know, was uh, shows his shows his quality um, and, and his confidence really. So. Um, yeah, it was really pleasing, really pleasing to see him um, sort of grow into that loot shirt. And whether I'm, um, whether I was sort of harsh on the goalkeeper or not for the first one, he had no chance with the second one. When Alan Campbell <laughs> lets fly from 25 yards, they stay hit. They really do. Uh, that was a fantastic goal. That I, Where I was sat in the press box had the perfect eye line of that just arrowing in. And uh I know you're supposed to show a bit of decorum and stuff, but I was out of my seat. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, it w- was a fantastic, it did not move. It just arrowed straight in. Perfect shot. And he's had that, he's adding that to his game now. I think we said in the last podcast, if you stand off Alan Campbell now, he'll have a crack. He doesn't have too many, but the ones he's had seem to find the net. So, um, yeah, good, good on him. He's, he's really turning into a, a fan favourite, I think. Oh, he absolutely it, is. Even without the goals, I think, uh, just his general play. But if you add in that, then oh, it's going to be some player. Yeah, it's just his relentless energy and work rate and his commitment. It's absolutely fantastic. Like you say, the improvement in his attacking play from the start to now is absolutely chalk and cheese. Um, we followed that up by going to Stoke. We were, I mean, we never win at Stoke. No one wins at Stoke on a Tuesday night, a cold <laughs> Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever night of the week it is. It's a Wednesday. Wednesday this time, though, yeah, absolutely. Um, but we did. Um, the team sheets announced for this game, and you're like, well, we're going to have to rest a few because obviously that game against West Brom was pretty hectic. But I never saw Daniel Hilton playing in that game, and I certainly never saw him in a 10-stroke midfield position role. But it soon became apparent that he was there purely to stop Joe Allen playing football, a role that he performed perfectly. And the one time Joe Allen let him go, was the one time that Harry Cornick got down the wing, stuck a ball across and bang, had Danny Hilton in the bottom corner. Um, did he love that? Did we all love that? Absolutely fantastic. And I'm delighted for Danny because he's had all of his injury problems. And we touched on this earlier in the season when he scored against Bristol City and then lo and behold, he went pulled up in the warm-up the following game to further add his injury problems. But no such problems now. Uh, he's obviously played a few times since then. And this is a guy who is synonymous with our rise. And he's kind of synonymous with what we're doing at the minute as well. You know, he's kind of punching above his weight in many ways, but bloody in the noses of the big boys, and he loves it. Yeah, oh, he does. And the Luton fans love it as well. I know there's the odd person that says he's passed it, uh, but I think both Jerome and Camp uh, and Hilton are proving them wrong at the minute. And it was a shrewd move to play him where where he did in that game because. Um, 
most of the time when Luton have come up against a Joe Allen in, in a Stoke team, he's run the show. He really has. Um, so to do that shows some learning um, and some faith in what Danny can do. Because he can score goals, but he can mix it as well. And he uh, has he has that ability to, to, to link the play um, as well. You know, he's not going to be running in behind because that's not his game. But um, it <laughs> what it was, a bloody well-taken goal. And a, a nice, famili- old, familiar sight of Cornick down the wing to Danny Hilton goal. But um, yeah, wonderfully taken strike. Um, but really pleased for him. He's he's had a really great. He had a really great week that week. He's had a good month, um, and it was uh, you know heightened by the next game when he came back to Kenilworth Road and got his first goal in front of the home fans. So. I mean, the Hove fans have been singing his name every time he comes on off the bench. You know, Hilton scores are on the pitch, that sort of stuff. So, But for him to have that in the week of his birthday as well, I, I imagine it was, um, you know, hard. To, I imagine they were trying to peel him off the ceiling. <laughs> What's that all about, though? He scored twice and I didn't see a single Luton fan on the pitch. I mean, you know, <laughs> must do better sort of thing. Uh, it was the night of the old boys, wasn't it, at Stoke? Because it was Cameron Jerome who popped up with the second. Um, Stoke's defence seemed, seemed to be playing musical statues without the music and um, Jerome said thanks very much and popped it in the bottom corner. Yeah, um, you know, it shows his poaching instincts are, are still there and he seems to like scoring against his old clubs at the minute. I mean, there are loads of them, so <laughs> it's a good chance. But, um, uh, yeah, no, fair play to him. Uh, it's... Uh, it, to, you know, to get a winner as well uh, at Stoke, and for uh, Nathan Jones to get the winner, uh, a win at Stoke, um, I think is a. I don't know if he'll view it as a sort of important one, but I think it was one to get off Luton's collective back because they haven't been good up there. Um, and they generally haven't been a good, been good against Stoke either. And regardless of whether it was a good performance or not, it's about the result at the end of the day, isn't it? And uh, you know, to go up there and, uh, and beat them, we I mean, really should have been two 0 shouldn't it? But they got a late one. But yeah, it's uh, it's all on this um, progression road, isn't it? We can, you know, everyone talks about it, and it, it, I guess it's becoming a bit of a buzzword, and maybe people don't like that, get a bit bored of it, but. Every little gain you can make along that road is a positive one. And sometimes they're small and sometimes they're big, uh, but they all get you where you're going. Don't they? Yeah, people have just got to appreciate that we're doing it the right way. And the right way is small steps rather than the wrong way, which is big steps. That If you fall down one of them, you end up tumbling all the way back down the bottom of the stairs again. And um, there is, yeah, I don't think the performance was that bad at Stoke. I thought the conditions were horrendous. It was uh, wind and rain was piling towards the goal that we scored both our goals in so in the first half it was like keep it tight then in the second half use conditions to your advantage which we did um, Derby at home I thought after winning those two games that had Lord Mayor's show written all over it because we put in two physical proper efforts to win those two games and they were against playoff rivals at the time I know we've gone in a different direction to both of them since then but the Derby game had this slip-up written all over it, but it didn't happen. We won that game. Danny Hilton came off the bench, scored a lovely goal. 
from the edge of the box in the bottom corner. Had a, had a brilliant moment with the Luton fans um, down in the corner by the clock and uh, fully deserved. I mean, we fully deserved to win the game. Um, the other highlight of that game being the Jed Stiss save from Max Bird, I think the bloke's called. And um, yeah. what a save that was, pushing it onto the crossbar. That was a nil-nil. That was a vital save. Well, that's the only chance they had, really. They, they didn't do... I mean, they had just slightly more of the possession, Derby, but uh, no, not in the end. Um, Luton did for once. <clears throat> um, so it's a fairly in-game possession-wise, but they didn't create... I can't think they created anything other than that. I think that might have been their only shot on target because it was going in. Um, and then I, Rooney came out afterwards and they said, if, you know, if they'd have taken their chances, they'd have won. And I'm thinking, what chances? <laughs> I don't know what game you're watching. Um, yeah, it was Luton had the best ones. And, um, yeah, Hilton took it really well. Like a really calm moment. Um to, to score in the way he did, just sort of pick his spot and not rush it. Um, shows the confidence, I guess, that he probably got from the match before and scoring, but also the quality that he's always had, really. If you give him those chances, he will put them away. Yeah, and uh, Jerome on the knockdown there as well. So uh, those two were certainly um, making a big impact. Chelsea came and went then Middlesbrough away on Saturday. I know he wasn't at that game. That was a weird game because if you looked at just chances and took away the goals and everything else, just chances, you'd have thought we dominated that game because their goalkeeper kept them in it. They had two shots on goal, really, of any note. Penalty and um, the one that Palmer should have saved. I think he's admitted he should have saved it, so I think I'm sure there's no problem with me saying that he should have saved it. Um, the bloke was offside for that second goal, though, so it should never have got that far, but it did. Uh, whereas their goalkeeper uh, made a good save from Jerome in the first half, and then there was a spell in the second half where Jerome, uh, Adebayo and Cornick could all have scored. And then when Cornick did score, unfortunately, it was too little too late. That game was absolutely ruined by a referee. That bloke who refereed the um, York playoff game uh, back in 2012. He's an absolute nightmare. He was a nightmare then. They all were then. And they certainly got no better um, for this game. When you consider, actually, one of the reasons why that Chelsea game was such a good spectacle, James, was the Premier League official. He was not standing for any of that niggling nonsense. He'll just he's just let both teams play, and it was only a genuine foul that he called the game up for. Whereas this one was a complete opposite. You blew on someone, it was a free kick, and you touched someone, it was a yellow card. It was just, I mean, I mean, I've criticised the referee. He should have sent Henry Lansbury off. So um, there is a kind of two sides to the story. But he was terrible in terms of getting a game of football going. And I think Nathan Jones hinted at that in his post-match press conference, but wouldn't say it, which is a good thing because we sure as hell don't want him in trouble. But at the time, it looked a bad result, didn't it? Because Middlesbrough went above us and we dropped down to eighth. But obviously, since then, we've kind of rebounded with the win at Coventry, which I'll come on to. But mm. um, well, Results went the, way, went, went the right way, though, didn't they? Uh, yeah, that weekend. They they did. Um, and and that's, that's actually happening a lot, isn't it? I mean, you look at the league table in 2022, as in matches just played in 2022, only Fulham have got more points than us and they're well gone. It's the rest of them. It's like Fulham and then there's a, a genuine division below, isn't there? Mm. We're actually top of that division in 2022, which just shows when you think the games that we've had as well. With, I think I'm right in saying since Harrogate, there's been there's been one midweek we've not played, and you know that's eleven yeah. midweeks now. So that's ten of ten midweeks out of eleven, 
which is good in a way because the form in midweek is absolutely incredible. Can't get over it. 10 wins, three draws, no defeats, league games, midweek, none of this Friday nonsense. That's not midweek, that's weekend. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I suppose we should just go on to the Coventry game then, really, James, because... 5-0 at home, and we, inter- we we hinted at this in the last podcast. 5-0 at home, you're not going to let that happen again, are you, if you're Coventry? And um, they came out, they, they they had a lot of play. Their number 39, Hamer, who is a pretty good player, uh, ran the midfield in the first half. But Palmer kept us in it. And, and then Elijah done what Elijah does. Lovely finish. Brilliant ball from Palmer. Yeah, defender might have cut it out, but, you know, it's no different to Reese Burke against um, Chelsea. But once it got to Elijah's feet, there was only one place that was ending up. I still think it was a difficult finish, you know. There's quite an acute angle. The goalkeeper should be like, making himself a bit bigger there, maybe. Um, so I think it's a well-taken finish. Um, yeah, when he scores first, they win. win. So um, And that, that stack keeps going. So, um, yeah. To... to it's it's happening quite a lot now, so I don't want to take it for granted, but I do feel that if they get beaten, they come back stronger, which is a is a very good sign. Yeah, and what was a really good sign was the Saturday. We're going to come on to the midfield a little later, but the Saturday midfield was I'm trying to wrap my brains here. Gabe Osho, Alan Campbell, Danny Hilton, two of the three. Yeah, exited that game with injury and the other one Danny Hilton obviously isn't playing 90 minutes back to back at the minute so the midfield against um, Coventry Pelly Rudder Kambanzu Jordan Clark Luke Berry none of which have started a game of football since well three or four weeks ago I think or three or four games ago sorry in Pelly's case with the other two much much longer more more six weeks than um, than that you know tricky conditions on a boggy pitch with rug, rugby's played there it wasn't, wasn't the easiest so you know, it shows that what Jones did with the squad rotation against Chelsea, it kind of helped because Berry could go an hour last night. Jordan Clark went 80 minutes. Um, OK, Pelly didn't play against Chelsea, but he managed to do the 90 minutes. And let's just touch on Pelly before we talk about the rest of the game. Captain last night surprised me because I thought Potts would captain as he captained against Chelsea. But fantastic, really, just to, just as recognition, really, for the, the service he's given to the club that Nathan gave him the captaincy. Yeah, well, he he has a massive influence off the field. We're always told that. We've seen it when we've been down the training ground. Um, and he sort of, he does lead by example on the pitch when he's playing because he's relentless. Um, so it's probably, I don't know why it's a surprise choice because the more I think about it and the more I'm talking about it now, you know, I think, well, why couldn't he be a captain? It's got, all the right attributes, isn't he? Really, um, well, yeah. Why not? Why not? Um, it, they've got a lot of those players though, at, at the minute at Luton, uh, so they can all do it. So it's it's kind of a ceremonial thing, anyways, in football, isn't it? It's not like your rugby captains where they do a lot of the business with the with the referee and, deci- and decisions and stuff. So or cricket captain for that matter, but. Um, uh, yeah, fair play to him. He's you know he's he's been there for so long. Uh, it, yeah, great great honour for him to have and decent result, decent game to come back into too. 
yeah, led by example last night in terms of work rate. Absolutely fantastic when you think he'd missed four previous games. Yes, his passing was a bit in and out at times in the game, but I mean, hell, the guy's not played for four games. He's going to need sort of an hour to get back up to speed and everything like that. And I'm still not convinced he's fully fit either, actually. I think he's playing with an injury. It's a fair play to him um, in that regard. Um, Alex Palmer did really, really well last night. Two brilliant saves. One in the first half, which was a good save because when you concede at your near post, you kind of edge nearer to that near post to make sure you don't concede again. So when the guy did an Elijah and went across him, he had to get uh, quite far across to save that. But unlike their goalkeeper, he did do that. And the reaction save from O'Hare in the second half was uh, absolutely fantastic. And um, earned his point in the end. And of course, his assist as well. There's a lot of con- uh, lot of talk about his kicking in the first two games. Um, but his kicking for the assist was very, very good. And he's only going to get better and better. You've got to think he hasn't played a game of football for nine months. But this fella played in uh, for England at youth level and You've got to have something about you if you do that. Um, other thing to note from that game, James, Harry Cornick, 200th appearance. He's another great servant of this football club. We love him as fans. He's just he's just Luton Town now, isn't he, really? He's just, he just epitomises Luton Town. Well, he, he does. And he was the start of the... It seemed to be like one of the start of the improvement players. You get him and build him up and stuff. The only down season he had was that first season in the championship but he's improved uh, ever since and you know he's gone from a winger now to a forward and a very good one at that and what's he got now 10 goals for the season which is pretty good uh, I think he even got near that in the other in his first championship season he could have if he tucked away those one-on-ones but he is now doing so yeah it's a great milestone I think Elijah got his 50th game as well um, for his goal, so uh, yeah, it's all sort of looking good. Yeah, it is, and you're right about Cornick. Ten goals this season, only one last season, wasn't it? So it's you know, absolute full circle for Harry, and um, fantastic, and the assists as well. And um, like you say, change position in that time as well, absolutely fantastic. And um, we always look a good side when he's in it because he stretches the defenses, and that's fun. That's fantastic. So basically then, James, in that run, four wins, sorry, five wins from, no, I was right the first time, four wins from five games. Um, can't really ask for much more than that. It's been a, it's been a fabulous run um, ever since the turn of the year, in fact. You know, we spoke about the January one in the last podcast, but to, to be up there in the form table, they were neck and neck with Fulham. I know after, obviously after the, losing to Middlesbrough they've pulled away at the most amount of points in 2020 but to even be challenging team like Fulham who've romped this division uh, you know they've got Alexandra Mitrovic who's smashed the goal scoring target in two thirds of the season and you thought Ivan Tony was good last season but uh, when you've got that sort of firepower um, and they'll go back up and they'll go back up probably and do what they always do and be not quite good enough and come back down again. <laughs> because uh, that's the thing, isn't it? You've got to think that Alexander Mitrovic is a phenomenal player in the Championship. But he ain't that good in the Premier League. <laughs> and that's the sort of level you're looking at. Um, so, uh, yeah, it just shows the, uh, the gains that Luton are making, the progress they're making to, to notch as many points they have in this second half of the season and just keep going and keep going. Um, yeah, long may that continue. 
yeah, seven wins from our last 10 in total in the league. And I think it's 25 points for the year, which is um, fantastic when we're still really pretty much in the first week of March. Um, let's get going on a couple of player focuses. Obviously, my dog enjoys the Luton form, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> get going on a couple of player focuses. Uh, I want to talk about Amari Bell, James, because uh, I, I always think back to when I had when when I spoke to Nathan on our season preview podcast, and he he had that that glowing smile when I brought up Amari Bell. He was chasing him for a long time, and I think we've seen why over the last sort of two, three, four weeks because he's really, really coming to his own. I thought he was excellent against West Brom. I thought he was brilliant against Stoke. And last night he was very good as well. And that's not to say that he wasn't good in the other games in between that, because he was. Uh, but last night he got booked after about five or six minutes, or very, very, very early in the game. But he showed the maturity to stand up, to not give the referee another chance. And he was dishing out cards like it was Christmas, um, to give him another chance to book him. But he, used his, he still used his physicality despite that. But... It's it's defensive work that's caught the eye for me recently because we've known about him as an attacker from way back when he scored at Barnsley. But his defensive work has really come on loops and bounds in the last month or so in particular. Yeah, I think so. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think he's been a really impressive player. Um, I think probably took a little time to get used to the new surroundings when he moved. Uh, but you could see his quality when he went forward. Uh Undoubted there, um, and he's obviously been brought to get back to that more flying wing back, fullback stuff that Luton was synonymous with in the lower lid, lower leagues. But um, you've got to do your first job. Your first job is to defend, and and he has been very good. It's athletic, determined. Um, doesn't let too many people get past him. Um, yeah, he's a he's a. <laughs> He's one of these players that has been in and around the championship for a while for other teams, obviously came from Blackburn. And you just what you're just thinking what what a Blackburn not seeing, really, for Luton to come pinching. But I'm glad that they have. Yeah, me too. Um I, I should say, you know, he got done slightly uh, on Saturday for the build up to the penalty, but that Jones of Middlesbrough is one to look out for. He'll be in the Premier League next season whether Middlesbrough are there or not we've come up against a couple of those sort of players uh, in recent times and um, he's very much one of them uh, I can think of the top of my head um, that uh, Forrest have got one as well Johnson uh, he's he's very much in that ilk but the game, the game that really stood out for me from Bell's defensive point of view James was Stoke away they had Tyrese Campbell on his side and the ball was regularly going to him in the first 15 or 20 minutes. So you knew that they fancied him against um, Bell. Left foot cutting in. But Bell just got to grips with him. And once he got to grips with him, it, it was like an NFL cornerback. Uh, he just shut the corner right down. They had to go the other side. And obviously, Breezy was, uh, Bree and Burke on the other side were just happy days. But, you know, we've all known about a threat from Tyrese Campbell. I think Nathan Jones regularly speaks about him, actually, when he talks about Stoke and his time at Stoke. I think he may have been the one who gave him his debut. I'm not sure on that, but it, it, it was in and around that time and he often talks about him. So that was a key battle that we won. And by winning that battle, we eventually ended up winning the game of football on top of that. So kudos to Amari. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I say, he's, um, he's, a, he's one of the players that I don't have any qualms about performing to a high level. I think he's, you know, 
the old football cliche of at least a seven. And, and but of late, he's been performing much higher. So, um, uh, yeah, he's uh, uh, it's almost actually <clears throat> almost sort of goes under the radar a bit because of James Bree's ability with the dead ball and his assists of late. Um, but I think he's every bit as good, really. He just, um, yeah, he wants to wants to get under the training pitch of James Bree and Alan Sheehan and get some get some crossing in. But I mean, you don't need to from set pieces, do you? When you've got a uh, Cal Naismith on the other side, but uh, his crossing generally is is, is useful. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really, uh, really, really fantastic signing. I think. Yeah, agreed. His defensive work stood out over the last month. His attacking play has not lessened in that time at all. And he carries the ball down that left wing and him and Elijah, mm, yeah. they link up very, very well. And if you're going to link up with someone in his side, linking up with Elijah is the one to uh, to do it with, that is for sure. Now then, last month on the podcast, you told me your three best central defenders in this <laughs> club did not include Tom Lockyer. Yeah. I'll ask you if it includes Tom Lockyer now, but he's played three or four games in this month. And my God, is this bloke a player? Yeah. He's a defender's defender, isn't he? He is quality, throws himself in the way of everything, dogged, determined, reads the game well, uh, roughs people up as well. If you watch him, it's, I mean, roughs I, them up and winds them up. Wafts them up. Well, I would advise anybody, actually, if you haven't done this, just to give just Tom Lock your five minutes of your time in a match day and see what he's up to because he's, he's nibbling at players, pinching them, like, elbow and pushing them and stuff. And the, um, it's the dark arts, really, isn't it? And I, I guess that that might be not such a prevalent thing anymore. Uh, but he, he's got it. And, if it, you know, it, it, it's again, it's one of these things of small little gains. If that helps to put off a top quality championship striker because he's not used to, you know, getting his toes stood on or having a little pinch, then fair play. He's using all, all of his uh, nails and ability. And, um, yeah, I I think he. I, I really like watching him play because that sort of stuff riles up uh, other fans, but gets your fans on side when it's seen. Uh, sometimes it's not so, not so much, but um, as it's shown at Coventry last night, when he's over to the crowd after the game, you know going absolute crackers isn't he and, uh, I've got a lot of time I've got a lot of time for him he's quite a funny bloke as well uh, on the old interview as well that one he did where he's claiming that he got a double but it was it was Elijah's all day long <laughs> but he saw blind was a it was a great moment uh, just just because it was funny so uh, but yeah he's I mean we've talked we've talked about the defence before saying that that's why you, I think you did the pick three of your best last last podcast because you can pick any of them and they're all solid and all fantastic. Some could bring the ball out better than others. Um, and Tom does do that, but his best attributes are being an out-and-out out, uh, defender. And I think if you put him in the middle of a three and let the ball players like Burke and Naismith do what they do, then um, 
then I've uh, obviously got it wrong in the last podcast when I was picking him and didn't, when I didn't pick him. Sorry. I think that just, like you say, just goes to show the strength that we have at centre-half. But last night at Coventry, uh, that was his best game in the Luton shirt, bar none. He was absolutely tremendous. I wrote the takeaways for your website, the Lutonian, last night. He led my um, take on the game from the takeaways. He was my man of the match by an absolute country mile. And there were some good performances on the, on the night. But anything that came in the air, he headed, that was in his vicinity, he headed it away. He had a calm presence at the back. He brought the ball out when he needed to. He cleared it when he needed to, rather than sometimes where we dilly-dally on the edge of our box, particularly late on. If the ball needed to go, it went. And, um, you know, his reading of the game, he regularly got in front of, I'm going to embarrass myself here, Guillocarez, I think is how you pronounce it, the Coventry um, top scorer anyway. Whenever the ball was fed into him, he regularly got in front of him. Or if he couldn't get in front of him, he stood up strong to him and made sure that the first time that he could get the ball, he did get the ball, threw himself in front of shots. I mean, that's nothing new. I remember that Nottingham Forest game where he got hit in the crown jewels two or three times and still kept on going. It was like, you know, he's he's absolutely fantastic. He's Matty Pearson. And this is no disrespect to Matty Pearson, but he's Matty Pearson, but with a comfort on the ball as well. He's, he's a absolute superb defender and I actually don't think he gets enough credit for his defensive skills because of the character that you've mentioned because he's seen as a bit of a lad and a bit of a character sometimes you can ignore the fact that he's a damn good defender and damn good at what he does as well and I love Tom I think he's brilliant like you say he's a jovial guy he's great to talk to and um, he's a damn good player as well and in between Reese Burke and Dan Potts last night he had cover for both of them he was brilliant yeah yeah I'm totally on board with that and uh yeah, it's funny how this Luton squad makes you sort of change your mind all the time, isn't it, really? But that's that is really the um the evidence of the strength and depth that um I could somehow not pick him in my three defenders last time round and this time I'm singing his praises, but <clears throat> that's 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 what happens with this squad. Yeah, absolutely love Tom. Absolutely love the way he's playing and really, really enjoyed watching Amari Bell this last month as well. There's been some brilliant performances for Luton in this last month, but those two in particular for consistency over the five, six games, they've been, um, they've been fantastic. Um, That's it for the first part of the podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening to the first part. Don't run away though. We will be back for the second part of the podcast where I'm going to get James's take on the best midfielders at the club we're also going to get that wrong as well weren't I (laughs) (laughs) we'll we'll, we'll reflect on that in April and I'm sure it'll be a completely different um, order we're also going to have a chat about the impact that a returning coach has um, has made and we'll also look ahead to what's to come between now and the international break so thanks for listening to part one and well part two will be in exactly the same place very very soon (laughs) 